earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you in your car? At home today? Elsewhere on your mobile device? Listening to the podcast? Friends, I'm sure you're familiar with the who or what am I scenario. You know, trying to guess who or what is the I in a particular dialogue. Well, today I'm going to begin with a who am I dialogue. You say you will never forget where you were when you heard the news on September 11th, 2001. I was on the 110th floor in a smoke-filled room with a man who called his wife to tell her goodbye. I held his fingers steady as he dialed. I gave him the peace to say, Honey, I'm not going to make it, but it's okay. I'm ready to go. I was with his wife when he called as she was feeding breakfast to their children. I held her up as she tried to understand his words and realized he wasn't coming home that night. I was at the base of the building with the minister as he comforted the injured and devastated souls. I brought him home to heaven. He heard my voice and answered. I was on all four of those planes, in every seat, with every prayer. I was with the crew as they were overtaken. I was in the very hearts of the believers there, comforting them and assuring them that their faith had saved them. I was in Texas, Kansas, and London. I was standing next to you when you heard the news. Did you happen to sense me? I saw every face. I knew every name. Though they did not all know me, some met me for the first time on the hundredth floor. Some sought me out in their last breath. Some couldn't hear me calling through the smoke and the flames. Come to me, this way, take my hand. Some chose for their last time to ignore me, but I was there. I didn't put you in the tower that morning. You may not know why, but I do. But suppose you were there on that fateful morning, would you have reached for me? September 11th, 2001 was not the end of your journey, but some day your earthly journey will end, and I'll be there for you too. Seek me now while I may be found, then at any given moment you can say with assurance, I'm ready to go. Who am I? Friends, we've devoted nearly the entire summer to a meticulous examination of key people and topics found in Matthew, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and several of Paul's letters, Romans, Second Corinthians, and Ephesians. Well, today and next time I'll be taking two programs to conclude our summer series, Touching Others with Our Faith. Since our final installment is called Leaping Over Barriers and Equipping Ourselves, I intend to have next time's program function like an on-radio workshop, where I'll coach and equip us all how to respond to people's common objections and excuses for not taking God and the Bible seriously. 
and thinking that they're already okay, spiritually speaking, when they're really not. So friends, make sure you tune in to next week's program or catch the podcast at faithtalk1360.com. And may I suggest that you take advantage of all the podcasts in this series and re-listen to them as a personal Bible study or small group study with friends so you are fully equipped to reach out to others with your faith. Friends, my hope is that you'll take advantage of what we've learned together as we've observed Jesus and the Samaritan woman, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the good Samaritan and the man left for dead, Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer, as well as gleaning other insights from the Apostle Paul. Recall we watched Jesus in action as he reached out and touched the Samaritan woman at the well as he fed over 5,000 people on one occasion, as he related a story which we now affectionately know as the Good Samaritan. We also observed Philip, whose availability resulted in an Ethiopian eunuch being touched by faith. We then watched how a frightened jailer in Philippi was touched by the faith of Paul and Silas. During this process, we identified a common thread of characteristics running through these encounters with people who were touched by the faith of God's available, loving channels at God-engineered moments in their lives. We identified these common characteristics as making oneself available, and not just passively available, but actively available, recognizing stepping stones to final faith, and creating a desire or hunger for spiritual knowledge, being patient with people, asking questions, being straightforward but tactful, seeing beyond a person's immediate need, yet meeting their immediate need as a bridge to bring the answer to their spiritual need, being a person of prayer and therefore sensitive to the Spirit's voice, feeling compassion and showing love. And speaking of love, we gained further insight by unpacking biblical love, this unique agape love, and underscored what it meant to love with the love of God, according to the Bible's definition. We also elaborated on grace for the express purpose of distinguishing between mere humanitarian relief efforts and Christian ministry. Our guiding principle had been this four-pronged statement, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. As such, Christian ministry brings an element into the equation of human needs that mere humanitarian efforts do not. Christian ministry brings grace. In the last few installments, we looked at three keys to touching others with our faith. Intercessory prayer, building bridges, and confronting people. In our last program, friends, I expanded on key number two, building bridges. I suggested that our common life experiences, both pleasant and unpleasant, may be organized around the statement by Paul in Romans 12:15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
Here we learn that these experiences may be divided up so as to form the left and right halves of a wagon wheel, with us in the hub, and the spokes of the wheel extending outward, identifying each of these common life experiences. Today, friends, I'm going to begin our series conclusion by elaborating on key number three, confronting people. Remember now, friends, key number three, confronting people, presupposes that we've already been actively involved in key number one, intercessory prayer, and key number two, building bridges. Now, I suspect that if we were all completely honest, we'd agree, including myself, that one of the strongest barriers to sharing our faith, if not the strongest barrier, is fear. Either fear of being rejected or fear fear of failing. And by that, I mean fear of not knowing an answer or not knowing how to respond to someone's questions or objections. And let me just say this, friends. One of my greatest paralyzing fears was being approached by Mormon missionaries, those dressed neatly in white shirts and ties, riding bicycles and knocking on your door. Until I attended a conference on Mormonism and learned that these missionaries have only been trained for two years. Next time in the second segment of our conclusion, our on-radio workshop, we'll learn ways we can sharpen our skills to respond to people's questions and objections to the Christian faith and the Bible. So friends, before we plunge into our detailed look at overcoming barriers and equipping ourselves, let's observe a masterful missionary evangelist in action and see what we can learn from him. We'll look at Acts chapter 17 verses 16 through 34. But before we do, I'd like to briefly walk us through the Apostle Paul's itinerary up to this point in his journeys. Two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 16, and particularly Paul and Silas's adventure with the jailer at Philippi. There as well, Lydia, a seller of precious purple fabric, a demon-possessed slave girl, and the Philippian jailer were apparently Paul and Silas's first three converts. Imagine these three being the charter members of your church. Well, according to chapter 16, verse 40, Paul and Silas stayed long enough to encourage these new believers and then journeyed on to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. According to the opening verses of chapter 17, on three separate occasions in the Sabbath services, Paul shared his faith with the Jews, reasoning with them from the Hebrew scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Paul's sharing of the gospel resulted in a mob forming against him and his troop, and soon the city was in an uproar, which required the local authorities to step in. Paul and Silas had to be whisked away to safety to the city of Berea, but when the Jews who stirred the pot in Philippi heard they were moved to Berea, they went after them and agitated the Bereans. And this is where we pick up the story, beginning in chapter 17, verse 16. And listen carefully. As we hear these verses, let's be keenly aware of how Paul chooses to connect with this particular audience and touch them with his faith. 
Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, and that was Silas and Timothy, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. Now, I have to stop here, friends, because here's another case where our English translations make a valiant attempt to communicate what Paul was truly feeling inside. The Greek New Testament has his spirit was aroused within him. This idea of being aroused carries with it aroused to anger, being irritated, emotionally provoked or upset. We could even say that Paul was incited to righteous anger. Does this tell us anything, friends? In light of all we've been studying, doesn't this inform us that Paul was sensitized to the promptings of the Spirit? His spiritual antennae were up. He knew how to listen to the Spirit's voice. Also in verse 16, we have the word observe. This is another rich and vibrant word. It carries with it the idea of gazing, looking with interest and for a purpose. And it includes the careful observation of details. This word appears in verse 22 as well. So the text continues, Paul was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing or disputing with him. Some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be proclaiming strange deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears, so we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe, and here it is, the second use of that word, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. And here, friends, Paul meant religious in a complimentary way. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. And by the way, Paul's use of ignorance here is not meant derogatorily. The word merely means without knowledge. It's actually where we get our English word agnostic. And now here comes Paul's proclamation, his sermon, if you will. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children or offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. 
Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear of you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, friends, I'd like to call our attention back to the characteristic of being observant for just a moment. When I noticed Paul used this word twice, it prompted me to think of a couple of questions. Do we observe the people around us in our circles of relationships? Do we look at people's lives with interest and for a purpose? Do we carefully observe the details of people's lives for the express purpose of seeing how we might meet an immediate need and in so doing build a bridge to them? Because, friends, haven't we been learning that ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God? Now, I want us to observe from today's text that Paul was reasoning in the synagogue, in the marketplace, and in the Areopagus with whomever happened to be there. In other words, Paul was making himself available, and not just passively available, but actively available. He intentionally went to the common gathering places of his day and left himself open to be used by the Lord to touch others with his faith. Personally, I believe Paul understood full well the statement I've been pulling out periodically in this series. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, we forfeit forever the right to choose whom we will love. Friends, I have no doubt that Paul relied on the sovereign hand of God in all his encounters and engaged anyone who would listen to him. He was not prejudiced, nor did he show partiality. Now, I think it would be helpful for us to understand who these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were. The Epicureans were the ancient equivalent to our modern connoisseurs of the finer things in life, food, drink, pleasures, etc. Epicurus was a Greek philosopher who held that the goal in life is serenity of mind and the enjoyment of moderate pleasures. So the Epicureans were the refined of society, the uppity-ups as I used to call them. Stoicism was the philosophy that everything is governed by unwavering natural law, and that the goal in life was to pursue virtue alone, indifferent to the external world around us, including emotions and passions. So these were the more rigid, logical, emotionless people of society. The spiritual connection here, friends, is that Paul was able to engage the philosophers and intellectuals of his day. He was a keen observer of the language of his culture and could feel the pulse of the culture. Well, back in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of them and said, You must be born again. No. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. No. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Nope. Instead, Paul said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, 
Notice, friends, Paul took an interest in the details of their religion. He familiarized himself with their objects of worship. This equipped him to find a bridge to communicate the essence of the gospel to them. Remember, today's installment is called Leaping Over Barriers and Equipping Ourselves. In verse 23, Paul said, What you worship in ignorance I proclaim. Notice Paul was straightforward, yet tactful. He recognized stepping stones to final faith. Notice no reference to a Messiah figure here. No quoting of Hebrew scriptures here. No use of distinctively Jewish terminology to make his point. In fact, friends, in verse 24, Paul is careful to use the secular or pagan Greek word for God, theos, which Christ followers lifted out of their cultural toolbox and elevated it to mean the one true and living God, the God of the Hebrews. Also in verse 24, Paul says, This God does not dwell in temples made with hands. Athens was the site of the Parthenon, the temple dedicated to the virgin Athena, the goddess of wisdom and the arts. In verse 27, Paul says, This God is not far from each one of us. Here Paul is actually paraphrasing Deuteronomy 4.7 and Jeremiah 23.23, combining two scriptural readings into a single sentence, yet not quoting them directly. In verse 28, Paul says, For in him, this God he proclaims, we live and move and exist. Here it's even more evident that Paul made himself familiar with the pagan literature of his day and quoted their literature as part of his gospel message. This is one more way he equipped himself and made himself ready to build a bridge to people in his first century audience. Finally, in verse 34, we see the fruit of his labor. Some became believers. Amazing! Not using the word Jesus, not using the word Christ, and without quoting any messianic prophecies. Well, friends, can you tell what I see as the challenge that lies before us today as Christ followers in our culture? to be equally attentive, active, and available to the Lord and engage each person in life's situation with a spirit of boldness and not timidity or fear. And this brings us full circle to what I began saying earlier. One of the strongest barriers to overcome is the fear factor. And friends, it would be helpful for us to realize that fear is an emotion, an instinct we've been given by God as a protective mechanism against danger. It will also help to realize that the Bible distinguishes between appropriate fear and avoidable fear. Appropriate fear is expressed in the Bible as the fear of God or reverent awe, amazement. It's a healthy fear, one which acknowledges the awesomeness and power of God. Avoidable fear is the fear that immobilizes us and makes us cowardly or timid. It causes us not to act or move forward at the Holy Spirit's promptings. This is the fear that we need to gain victory over. Second Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or cowardice, but of power and love and sound judgment. Back in 1995, Kathy Tricoli wrote a song called May I Be His Love. Here are some of the lyrics. 
I want to live my life for his glory and to hold his word here in my heart, to let his spirit fill every part of me so I'll leave him everywhere. May I be his love for you. May I lift your eyes toward heaven. May I come to you and lead you to his light. May I cry his tears for you. May I be the place that you can run to where you'll hear his voice and see him in my eyes all your life. May I be his love. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. My hope is that our summer study is giving us some handles for touching others with our faith. Remember, friends, join me next week for our on-radio workshop, the second half of this series conclusion. I'll share in greater detail how we can equip ourselves to respond to people's excuses and objections to our faith and the Bible. To whet your appetite, here's a few of them. I'm a good person. If God is a God of love, how can he send people to hell? There are too many hypocrites in the church, or Jesus Christ is just one way to God. Let's keep praying for the people around us in our circles of relationships, especially those who may be tougher to reach, those who may have asked hard questions or have objections to our Christian belief system. A recently listening person wrote in and said, I was driving today and heard your radio program. You were talking about the three keys, intercessory prayer, building bridges, And confronting others. I liked it. Good info. Good job. Keep it up. Well, thanks for your encouragement. Today's broadcast will close with an email address where you can write me. I'd love to hear how God is using you to touch others with your faith. Please also consider joining a Word from the Word's support team. Ask me for the details. Thanks to you who help keep this program on the air. Well, friends... Thanks for listening today, and remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.